Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. My name's Dustin, and uh, like Jarrett said, I serve on staff here as our college pastor, and it's an honor to be able to share this time with you this morning. I wanna do something before we get started. Um, This is the end of a semester. Um, It's been a crazy uh, past year and a half or so. We did something last night that we call our Senior Prophetic Night. And what we do is we just gather our graduating seniors together um, to pray for them, to prophesy over them, and just send them into their next season of life. And so I wanna just take a second to honor any seniors that we have in the house this morning. If you're graduating uh, college either this semester or over the summer, or if you're graduating high school, would you please stand up this morning? We wanna honor you really quick. I think we have a few in the house. Yes, come on. Thank you, Jesus. There we go. We have Tierra right here. We have Damien over here. I know there's a handful more that aren't here. Could you just extend your hands towards these that are standing up? God, we thank you for these. Lord, we honor them this morning. And we just thank you that you are really, really good, Lord. And we just commission them into their next season of life. Whatever that looks like for them, God, we thank you that there's more than enough, Lord, that they have everything that they need for this next season of life. And we bless them as a family this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Awesome. Well, I am really excited about this morning. You're going to have to forgive me. I have a little bit of a sinus, like head cold thing going on. So if I lose my voice, um, I'm going to need some help. Okay. So you guys just tell me I'm doing a good job if you don't mind. But I, I, uh, I'm really excited for this morning. I've kind of had a word burning in my heart for a little while. About two years ago, um, I was praying and just asking God for some vision for our college ministry. And uh, I felt like the Lord spoke to me really clearly. And he said, I want you to focus on two things. He says, I want you to focus on prayer and I want you to focus on discipleship. And I, I love discipleship. I love making disciples. I really believe that the reason we're all in these seats today is because a movement of disciples that exploded from an upper room 2,000 years ago that has transformed the world. And I love making disciples, but I really feel like there's a key to making disciples. And the key to making disciples is to first be a people of prayer. That if we want to transform culture, if we want to make an impact on our world, we talk about this often, transforming lives, transforming culture, we first have to be a people who are rooted and grounded in the place of prayer. Amen? And uh, I feel like God has just given me this passion for prayer, this new light shed on prayer. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about prayer this morning. You guys okay with that? Awesome. Open up in your scriptures, if you have them, to Mark chapter 11. We're going to jump right in. You know, we say this a lot with our college students. We, we use this phrase over and over that we believe that prayer changes things. Tell your neighbor, prayer changes things. Prayer actually does work. God responds when we pray. And I believe that there is an authority on the church. There's an authority on your life to begin to make declarations and to begin to make uh, prayers, lift them up to God and see things change around us. But even more importantly than that, I believe prayer changes things around us, but it also is the place of prayer that we get transformed ourselves. And I've, I've begun to fall in love with the place of prayer because I find that that is where my heart is transformed. 
And my encouragement and my prayer for this morning is that we would be stirred, yes, to pray for our city, yes, to pray for our region, to pray for our nation and the nations of the earth, but also that we would value the place of prayer because we know that it's in the place of prayer around the presence of God that our lives are changed forever. So we're gonna look at Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 17. I think they're up on the screen It says this in verse 15, it says, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? You see, Jesus in this passage of scripture, this is not like nice surfer hippie Jesus coming into the temple right here. We see Jesus and he comes into the temple and he begins to cleanse the temple. He begins to turn tables over and we find that Jesus is passionate about two things in this text. One, he is passionate about cleansing his temple. He's passionate about purifying his bride. Jesus wants to take idols from our lives. He wants to remove anything from our lives that would cause uh, us to be separated from him or cause a distraction in our place of communing with God. But the second thing that we see is that Jesus is passionate about building a house of prayer. You see, he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He's standing in this temple. What we have to understand about that temple that Jesus is standing in is that temple only had about 30 more years or about 40 more years left to exist. What we know 40 years later after Jesus says this in the temple is that that entire temple was completely destroyed. Jesus prophesies about it in Matthew 24. He says, this temple is gonna be taken apart brick by brick. But what we find is that later on, Paul begins to give us revelation about the temple that the disciples at that time did not know. Paul begins to say, do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? He begins to say that we are living stones put on top of one another, making up this house where God is going to dwell. So he's talking about a physical temple here, but I think he's actually pointing pointing forward into the future and saying that not only will this house right here be a house of prayer, but my people shall be called a house of prayer that I'm going to establish a church, I'm going to establish a house, and when I get ready to define it, I'm not just gonna call it a house of good preaching, it's not just a house of good worship or a fellowship, but my house shall be called a house of prayer. Tell your neighbor, you're a house of prayer. Come on, God calls us a house of prayer, and I love that when he gets ready to define the church, he says, my people shall be called a house of prayer. Why was Jesus so passionate about prayer. Why was Jesus so passionate about identifying his people as a house of prayer? I believe it's this, that when he's saying prayer, he's not just simply saying like your prayers before you go to bed. He's not just simply saying, you know, like the blessing over the food, but he's saying my people will be called a house of relationship. My people will be called, my people will be known as a house of communion. You know, Jesus modeled prayer in a a completely different way than the disciples had ever seen. Jesus, in his own life, showed the disciples what it looked like to live a life of prayer. And I believe that Jesus, when he makes statements like this, he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. 
You know, that doesn't just come from Jesus flippantly living his life. It comes from Jesus actually establishing his life in the place of prayer to where the desires of heaven actually became Jesus's desires. We're gonna look here in just a second at the rhythms of Jesus as he forged this life of prayer. You know, I, I really think this, you know, we're coming up on National Day of Prayer. It's next week. I actually didn't know that when I was preparing to talk about prayer. I think this is really timely. Um, and I think God is calling his church to be a people of prayer. And, and, and I believe that prayer, sometimes we think of prayer as just something like, like the sprinkles on top like the addendum to our life, but I I really feel gripped this morning that God wants to let some people in the room know that there are things on his heart for this city. There are things on his heart for this region. There are things on his heart for your life, and he wants to reveal it to you. He wants to make it so clear to you, and it's gonna come as we begin to establish our lives in this place of secret, private devotion to God. So we're gonna look through the Gospel of Luke for a second. Jesus uh, kind of gives us this glimpse into his prayer life. And I love that Jesus, he doesn't just talk about prayer, but he actually models it to us. So I'm gonna give you a handful of scriptures real quick. We're gonna go quick. If you haven't read your Bible all week, I could help you out real quick. Um, We're gonna get some Bible reading in. Luke chapter five says this, yet the news about Jesus spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke chapter six, it says, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the entire night praying to God. Luke chapter nine, once when Jesus was praying in private, his disciples were with him and asked, who do the crowds say that I am? So here, just in, in a few chapters, we see that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often spent entire nights praying to God. Jesus here was praying in private. Luke chapter nine, a little further, it says about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and he went up to a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Can you imagine being in that prayer meeting? Just a normal casual day, Jesus is making his way into the prayer closet and then all of a sudden his face starts to shine. His clothes are transformed. Literally, Moses and Elijah show up on the mountain. This is just an average prayer meeting for Jesus. Luke chapter 11, it says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say this, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He goes into the Lord's prayer. What we see here is Jesus did not just talk about prayer, but he modeled prayer to us. And I think sometimes it's really important for us to grasp this, that it's, it's good to listen to the teachings of Jesus, but almost as important to the teachings of Jesus are the rhythms of Jesus, You see, what we see in Jesus's life is that he wasn't just a teacher, but he himself modeled to us what this life was supposed to look like. And the disciples, after watching Jesus spending nights praying to God, after watching Jesus, they're literally like, man, they're all excited about the ministry. There are so many followers that are happening. They're always like, Jesus, come on, there's another miracle. There's, There's more people waiting on you. And oftentimes they couldn't find him because he was on a dirty mountain by himself learning to hear the voice of his father. 
And so Jesus modeled this life of prayer to us. And I love that when the disciples, they came to Jesus and they had seen the miracles, they had seen the healings, they had seen all the stuff that Jesus has done and they could have asked him anything. They could have said, Jesus, would you teach us to heal the sick? Jesus, would you teach us to multiply fish and loaves? Jesus, would you teach us that thing like to walk on water? That would be really, really cool. But instead of asking any of those things, they asked one question, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And I believe the disciples caught a revelation from Jesus that if we could just learn to pray like Jesus, then we would be able to do the stuff that Jesus does. I think they noticed that Jesus in prayer preceded Jesus doing anything for God. And so the disciples say, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? You know, there's something so valuable about a life of prayer. There's something so valuable about a secret life of prayer, about you finding time with your father in secret. That is the place that we hear his voice. That's the place that we learn about his heart. And like I said earlier, I think God has things on his heart that he wants to reveal to us and it's not gonna simply come through teaching, it's not gonna come through church services like this, but it's gonna come from us valuing that place and saying, I long to hear the voice of my Father. Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So what we're gonna do for the next few moments that I have you is we're gonna take a look through the Lord's Prayer and we're just gonna look point by point because Jesus actually gives us this framework in the Lord's Prayer. And uh, he shows us that prayer is, is more than just asking for stuff. It's actually about relating to God in the right kind of way. And uh, I, I, I was thinking about this as I was preparing. Jarrett and I, um, which Jarrett's right, Jarrett's my best friend, I love this guy. Are you guys thankful for Jarrett? This guy is incredible. You know, I, I still refer to Jarrett all the time as my roommate because Jarrett and I have lived together for years, um, but, but I, I, I forgot that I actually have a new and better roommate, which is here on the front row, Kaylin. Uh, we got married back in January, but I always refer to Jarrett. I'm like, Jarrett, my roommate. And I'm like, oh no, that's my old roommate. I have a new roommate and she's much better looking. So, but Jarrett and I lived together back in 2015. We went to Bible school together. And, and I'll say this about Jarrett. Jarrett is a man of prayer. I, I, we lived in a small little dorm room that was like the size of this little box right here. And uh, we, we had bunk beds. And I can remember every single morning, Jarrett, 4.45, 5 o'clock, would go in the bathroom and pray and spend time praying in there because it was the only place of privacy that he could get. And I'd wake up and be like, gosh, Jarrett's praying and I feel convicted. Um, but Jarrett models prayer. And there was a professor at our Bible school who, who would do this thing and he called it the school of prayer. And he says, I want you guys to meet me. Anyone who's hungry, anyone who wants to meet with God, come meet me in the green room behind our big sanctuary. We had to worship every morning at eight and we would meet back there at six o'clock every single morning. And he called it the school of prayer. And his whole desire was to teach young people how to pray. So we would show up at six o'clock. None of us really knew what we were doing and we would show up and every single morning we would begin to pray. And he would just, he would coach us. He would disciple us in the place of prayer. He'd say, all right, everyone lift up their voices in the spirit and everyone would start praying. And then we would just kind of sense where God was moving. We'd begin to flow together and there'd be times where someone would try to rabbit trail and go off on their own and he would correct them and say, hey, no, that's not what God's doing. Come back this way. And we were literally being discipled in the place of prayer. That's one of the places I learned to hear the voice of God. And I, I so value that. And I think in, in essence, what God gave me for our college ministry is that's what he's doing with us, is that he wants to teach us to pray. He wants to teach us to hear his voice in prayer. And so I think that's what, what he wants to do this morning. And so we're gonna look at the Lord's Prayer. 
Matthew chapter six, we see it fully written out. But I wanna look just really quick at four points because the Lord's Prayer gives us a, a framework and he doesn't actually teach us to start asking for stuff towards the, until the second half of the prayer. But the prayer goes like this. It says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're gonna look at those four points. The first point, if you're taking notes, is this. Number one, our Father. You see, this was revolutionary. When Jesus is teaching his disciples, he says, I don't want you to, to, to relate to God as a master. I don't want you to pray to God as if he is your Lord. All of these things are true, but when you pray to God, I want you to talk to him as your father. When you pray to God, I want you to call on him as your father. You see, there's many names revealed about God throughout the entirety of scripture. But in the New Testament, Jesus uses the term father over a hundred times to reveal who God was. And I think this statement, we could just pass over it because we pray it all the time. But this statement, when Jesus says, pray our father is so key because God wants you to know that he's a relational God. That when we come before God in prayer, we have to know that he's a relational God. And for many of us in the room, praying to God as father might actually be a little bit difficult. I know for myself, my entire life, my, my relationship with, with my stepfather who raised me wasn't always the best. And sometimes what I like to do is I like to accidentally put that image of him upon the image of a perfect father. And sometimes I think we would rather pray to a judge or pray to a taskmaster, but God is saying, I'm not asking you just to pray to get stuff. I'm inviting you into a relationship with me. And listen, how you see God dictates your prayer life. How you see God will determine your ability to come before him in the place of prayer. Because if you see him as an angry judge, if you see him as someone who's just beating you over the head, if you see him as someone who's just demanding your time, then you won't go to that place. But if you see him as a loving father who longs for relationship with you, then it becomes a joy for us to enter into the place of prayer. You see, what I see in the life of Jesus is that he spent entire nights praying by himself and it actually didn't look like a burden. You see, Jesus actually chose to step away from the miracle ministry to spend time with his God because it was his great delight to spend time with his loving father. And so what we think about God actually makes or breaks our prayer life and praying to God as a father can be difficult because it requires trust. It requires vulnerability. And you've heard me talk about this before. Vulnerability is not always easy but it's what God is after. Jesus invites us to pray and he says, when you pray, I want you to get vulnerable. I want you to tell God how you're really doing because he's a father and you can trust him. So the point number one is that God is relational. He is a relational God and he wants us to approach him as our father. The second point is he says, pray our father who's in heaven. And the second point, if you're taking notes, is our God who's in heaven, our Father who is in heaven. And what this tells us is that God is actually near. God is near. When we look at that word heaven, I think sometimes in Western church we mess this up. It's the Greek word aurenos. 
And Aurenos means heavens, but it's not heaven in the sense that we often think. When we think of heaven, oftentimes we think of heaven as this distant place that we're gonna go to when we die. But what the word arenos actually means is it, it, it means the air, it means the sky, it means breath. It, it's all of the stuff that's surrounding us. And so what God is not saying is I want you to pray to your father that's very distant and that can't really hear you very well, but I want you to pray to your father that's closer than you can imagine. The God that is present, the God that is in the air that is all around you. I, I can remember when I was a kid, that I used to think when I first heard about Jesus and I first heard about going to heaven when you died, I used to think that if I could get in a rocket ship and I could like go far enough that at some point, like I would break through some barrier and I would like land in like this fairy tale magic land known as heaven. Anyone with me? We saw heaven as this like far, far, far off place. And I I think in a way that's because we've discipled people to think that God is distant. We've taught people to think that heaven is a place that you go to when you die. But Jesus actually came to teach us something different about heaven. You see, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, you keep talking about this kingdom of heaven. Well, tell us, when will the kingdom of heaven come? Jesus messes with them. He says, you think that you're gonna be able to say, here it is or there it is, but I tell you, you're not gonna be able to observe when it comes Surely I tell you the kingdom of heaven is in your midst. Jesus was standing in front of them and they're like, when is this heaven thing coming? And he's like, I'm telling you, it's right here. Heaven is closer than you can imagine. And so when God says, I want you to pray our father who is in heaven, what he's actually saying is I want you to pray to a relational God that is very close, that is very available, that is in your midst. And it's God with us. It's his presence near us that actually transforms us in the place of prayer. You know, I can remember when I first gave my life to Jesus, started going to a church here in town. Actually, Tom, one of the pastors there, Tom and Kathy are here this morning from Hill Country Church. I love these guys. I honor them so much. They're amazing. Yes. I went to that church and it was the first time that I had ever experienced the presence of God in a real way. I'd never experienced anything like that before. I just thought God was like this thing that you just kind of check the boxes, you go to church every now and then. But I stepped into that place and I experienced the presence of God. And I can remember I became addicted to the presence of God. I think my family thought I joined a cult. I literally would just spend hours on my floor weeping under the presence of God. And I had no idea what was happening to me except that God was really, really close and things were changing in my life. As we spend time acknowledging God's presence, God, you're close. You're not a distant father. You're actually really, really close. It transforms everything about us. God is near. And if we want to have a life that is full of prayer, we have to acknowledge that he's not distant. He's not way off in a distant place, but he's actually near and he's listening to our hearts. Amen. The third point that he makes in teaching them how to pray, he says, our father who's relational in heaven, which means he's close. And he says to say this, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. I used to pray that all the time. We had to pray the Lord's prayer like before every football game and stuff like that. That's actually how I learned the Lord's prayer. 
And I, I would hear the word Hallowed. I'm like, what does that mean? I actually thought it sounded a lot like Halloween, which I was confused by because we weren't allowed to celebrate Halloween in the church, you know? So I was like, Hallowed, what does that mean? But as I began to understand what it means to hallow the name of God, what it means is to set God apart as holy. He says, when you pray, I want you to set your life apart unto God as holy. And sometimes we think of holy and we think of holy as if it's just a moral word. We think that the holier you are is based only on doing like the right things rather than the wrong things. But to be holy is not just to do the right thing. To be holy is to be set apart for a purpose. It's actually the purpose that you're set apart for that makes you holy. That's why the gospel, Jesus actually gives us his righteousness. It's not our works that makes us holy, it's him. It's us being set apart unto Jesus that makes us righteous. So he says, when you pray, I want you to hallow the name of God. And what that means is, is to make the declaration with all of our lives that God, you are holy. God, you are special. God, you are other than. There is no one else in my life like you, Jesus. And this becomes the foundation for us to begin to pray. Tim Keller says this. Let me read this to you. It says, to hallow God's name is to have a heart of great joy toward God and even more, a wondrous sense of his beauty. Consider how different this is from the normal way we use prayer to get things. We may believe in God, but our deepest hopes and happiness reside in things as in how successful we are in our social relationships we therefore pray more when our career or finances are in trouble or when some relationship or social status is in jeopardy. When life is going smoothly, our truest heart treasure seems safe and does not occur to us to pray. Seldom or never do we spend sustained time adoring God. We know God is there, but we tend to see him as a means through which we get things to make us happy. For most of us, he has not yet become our happiness. That struck me right there. And this is what he's saying as we begin to pray, that we don't pray to get stuff, but we pray to enjoy God. That it's not simply the, the accumulation of stuff, but he says, when you come, I want you to say, God, I hallow you. God, I, I enjoy you. You are the source of my life. There is nothing in this life that makes me happier than you. And I think God wants to, in a way, break off this lie from the church that prayer is boring, <laughs> That prayer is not enjoyable, but God longs to be enjoyed in the place of prayer. He longs for people who would get so caught up in who God is that they are excited to sit before God in prayer because they know that that place is actually the place of our deepest joy. So to hallow the name of God is to set God above all else in our lives, to make him our primary affection, our primary desire, and our only goal. The last point Jesus gives us is my favorite, as he says, when you pray, I want you to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So now that you understand that God is relational, now that you understand that God is really, really close and that he is to be enjoyed forever, I want you to, from that place, begin to declare, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What this teaches us is that we actually have authority, that your words carry power, you see, when God created man, he created them in a garden and he created them in perfect relationship with God. You've probably heard me say this before, but the destiny of mankind was that they would rule and reign with God forever. He 
says, I want you to have authority over all creation. I want you to multiply and be fruitful. And I want you to rule and reign as my ambassadors in the earth as the waters cover the sea. We know sin came in and distorted the whole thing. There was this break in relationship that came, but Jesus came and he did not just die on a cross to get us back to heaven, but he died to restore perfect relationship to us. And so he restores relationship back to us. And then he says, now that you have that same level of relationship that they had in the garden, I want you to pray. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, there's an authority on our prayers. This is why we say prayer changes things because God responds. When people pray with faith, God responds. Jesus tells his disciples, if you say to this mountain, be uprooted from this place and be cast into the sea and you do not have doubt in your heart, the mountain will get up and jump into the water. Oftentimes our circumstances don't always look like that, but I wanna take Jesus as his words. I don't wanna bow my knee to not seeing God move when I pray. I wanna believe God when he says, if you pray with authority, things will happen. So God restored authority back to us and he says, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all, say all, all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. See, Jesus has given us authority over all the things the enemy brings our way. And I think it's time for the church to begin to rise up and to begin to make declarations and see God move. You see, 2 Corinthians 5 says that we are his ambassadors, which means we are his representatives. It means when you are on the earth, you're not just here on accident, but you're actually here as a representative of the kingdom. When you look at ambassador, what an ambassador does, an ambassador is someone who is sent from a land to represent that land in a different land. If you take an ambassador from the United States and you go and you plant them in Russia or some other country, they actually don't operate under the rules and regulation of the country they're in. They operate under the rules and regulations from the country that they came from. And if we're ambassadors of heaven, listen, we're not subject to the things of this world, but we actually have authority over the things of this world and we can make declarations and see God move until his kingdom comes and his will is established on this earth as it is in heaven, amen? So God wants us to pray with authority. And with that, there is this sense of responsibility. Let me say this. There's another pastor from Hill Country. I heard this years ago. He used to always say this, Jimmy Darnell. He would say, he would say, without God, it's impossible. And he says, but oftentimes without us, or how does he say it? He says, yeah, if God, we can't do it apart from God, but oftentimes he won't do it apart from us. That as the body of Christ, we are actually his hands and feet in the world. And so ahead actually has no power apart from his body. And he can do whatever he wants, but he's actually chosen to do it through the church. And so we have authority to begin to pray to see God's kingdom come and his will be established on earth as it is in heaven. You with me this morning? I'm gonna close by saying this. Let me just recap really quick. Jesus teaches his disciples. He says, I want you to understand that God is relational. I want you to understand that God is really, really close to you. Then he says, I want you to set your life apart unto God and then begin to make declarations on earth as it is in heaven. 
As we close, I want to share just a few thoughts with you. I, I love history. Any, any history nerds in here this morning? I love looking at church history, especially church history. I love looking at revival history. And there's two groups of people that I've been studying for a long time. One of them are, are, are people that are, that are known as the Desert Fathers. The Desert Fathers are these early church fathers, um, third, fourth, fifth, sixth century. And who they were were a group of people that so longed to see God that they actually separated themselves from society and they moved out to live in the desert. And that was some stuff that I think they got wrong. But as I, as I read their writings, what I see is that these people set themselves apart fully unto God. And some of the encounters that they had with God are, are incredible. The most ridiculous things you could ever read, these encounters that they had with God. So they separated themselves to live in the desert because they longed to see God. And as I would read these stories, my heart would be stirred because I'm like, man, I wanna encounter God and I wanna see a movement like that happen in our day. But I feel like the Lord showed me something. He says, I wanna do that, but instead of removing people from society, I wanna raise up people who burn like that and then drop them in cities until they begin to transform everything around them. You see that the key is not that we would just be some weird holy people that live off in the mountains, but that we would be a people who have consecrated our lives to the place of prayer until our burning lives begin to transform everything around us. You see, the key to reach our city is not just good ideas. It's not just principles and doing the right things. It's burning people. It's people who are on fire for Jesus. It's people who have looked him in the eyes for long enough until his fiery eyes have consumed our lives and everything around us begins to change. There's another story, a movement I've been studying. It's known as the Moravian Missions Movement. Any of you guys ever heard of the Moravian Missions Movement? This movement, the greatest missions movement to happen in all of history. It's a group of people, these Moravian people. It says that they moved, they were refugees actually in Germany and they lived in this community and it said that one out of every 12 people from this church were sent cross-culturally as missionaries. One in every 12 people. At the time, the normal was one in every two to 3,000. But this group of people sent one in every 12 people as cross-cultural missionaries. And they have this famous phrase, you've probably heard this story before. There's a group of men who were so gripped with God's heart that there was a group of slaves that were in the Western Indies that were unreached, had never heard the gospel before. And they knew the only way to reach these people with the gospel was to sell their own lives into slavery. So what they did is they sold themselves as slaves in order to reach slaves. They knew that this decision would cost them their lives. There's no coming back from this. They knew I will never see my family again. I will never see my friends again. And the famous story goes like this, is they're on a ship on at the port and they're getting ready to go. Their last words as they looked at their family is they say, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. What passion to be able to lay their lives down like that, but as you look at the story of who these people were, it didn't just start because they had a good idea to go be missionaries. But there was a group of people, the Moravians, a man named Count Zinzendorf, a German man, bought this piece of property, allowed these refugees to live on his property, and they lived together communally. It said Count Zinzendorf had this idea that he wanted to start a prayer meeting. He started a prayer meeting. One night, he was in a room with about 12 to 15 people. The Holy Spirit fell on the room. 
And they were all under the power of God, weeping and weeping and weeping. And Count Zinzendorf the next morning says, we cannot stop praying. So what they did is they found 24 people who would take one hour shifts and they began a prayer meeting that would continue 24 hours of the day. And that prayer meeting lasted for 110 years. 110 years of prayer. Men like John Wesley, one of the early circuit riders in the Methodist church, it was in a Moravian prayer meeting where he gave his life to Jesus. William Carey, the father of modern missions, it was in a Moravian prayer meeting where he caught a vision for missions that would transform the world. So as we look at every move of God, every amazing move of God throughout history, what we find is, is that behind every missions movement, behind every transformation of cities, there's always a prayer meeting in secret. There's always a movement of prayer that no one sees. And I, I just sense as us as a church, Sozo, one of our hearts is to see our city transformed, is to see our region transformed, is to see nations of the earth transformed. And I believe it starts by us finding Jesus in the place of prayer, catching his heart and burning with holy passion till everything around us begins to transform. Would you stand with me this morning? I feel like the Lord, as I was praying for this, he gave me a very specific vision. And this is what I saw. I saw that there were people in the room that God had blueprints for your life. He had plans and purposes for your life, like your destiny, what you were created for. And you've been asking questions, God, I wanna know what I was created for. God, I wanna know what I was designed for. And the picture I saw is that there were blueprints for your life, but they were found in the reflection of the eyes of Jesus. And that if you want to know what you were born for, that you stare in the eyes of Jesus. And my, my heart is that we would be a people who carve out this place that says, God, I'm gonna find you in prayer. And I'm gonna stare at your eyes until I'm transformed into your image. I'm gonna stare into the eyes of Jesus until I catch the heart for this city. I'm gonna stare into the eyes of Jesus until I burn with the same desire that Jesus burns for. Would you close your eyes? I just wanna pray for you this morning. God, we thank you that you made a way so that we could have relationship with you. And God, I thank you that it's, it's more than just going to church on a Sunday. It's more than just a few prayers here and there, God, but you made a way so that we could live forever in the holiest of holies. And I, I just feel this, this need this morning to repent for taking advantage of that, God, that you gave access. And we just wanna say, yes, Jesus. We wanna come into the deep places of your heart this morning, God. We wanna stare into your eyes, God, until we begin to look like you. God, I thank you that you have laid out blueprints for our city, God, for your plans and purposes for this nation. And they're waiting on a table for people to enter in to the place of prayer and find you there. And I just declare over Sozo Church this morning, God, that we will be a people who transform the world, not just with our good ideas, not just because we had some method we figured out, but because we have caught your heart for our city. I just ask, Lord, even now that you would begin to stir hearts, God, with a passion for prayer, with a passion to find you, God, in that deep place to say my desire is actually more to find him when no one is looking than to be in front of any man or woman.
Just ask that you would release us that to us as a church this morning. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we're gonna have some prayer teams up here this morning. If you need prayer for anything, I just wanna invite you to come and just wanna challenge us as a people that we would say, God, I wanna set my heart as a person of prayer around the presence of God. And I believe as you just begin to set time aside just to be with God in prayer, that he will transform your life forever. He will shape you and mold you and give you his desires. Bless you.